He outwits Germans. He seduces women. He writes best-selling books. Is there anything that this guy can't do? We are the SpyFi guys, and this is Fleming. Hello, and welcome to episode one of the SpyFi guys, where we are talking about the BBC miniseries Fleming, the man who would be Bond, starring Dominic Cooper, one of my favorite actors. I'm, oh, I should probably say, I'm Zach, and this is Christian. Hey. So, right, as I was saying, Dominic Cooper plays Ian Fleming, the author of the James Bond series of novels, and I have been a fan of him as an actor for a long time. He's the star of the show Preacher, currently on AMC. I've also seen him in the World of Warcraft movie, just called Warcraft, and he appears in movies that I have not seen, the Mamma Mia movies. Which Don't I forget, quite fun. Ah, uh, they are pretty fun. Don't forget, he also plays Howard Stark in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, you're right. I bet a lot of people would know him from that. Wasn't he an Agent Carter too? Yes, he was. At least the, I think I don't remember if it was just season one or two or, or both. Right. Um, so we are going to be going full spoiler on this episode. So if you have not seen uh, Fleming yet, so we're going to be covering episodes one and two. So if you haven't seen them yet, uh, go ahead and watch them. We'll be waiting for you. Right after this. Okay, so if you're still here, we're going to assume that you've seen the show or you don't care about being spoiled. They say that you can't spoil real life anyway. <laughs> so, so here's how the show is going to work. So we're going to start with a synopsis of the first episode, talk a little bit about the plot, some things that jumped out to us. Then Christian's going to tell us a little bit about the spy fact versus the spy fiction. And then we'll give... The first two episodes are rating on a scale of one to ten martinis. All right, so here's a general uh, synopsis of the entire series. So from IMDb, it says, Look at the 007 creator, Ian Fleming, and his early life set against the permissive society of war-torn World War II London. And episode one follows... In London, 1938, Ian Fleming is a dissolute playboy, eclipsed by his war-dead hero father and his successful brother. And that's really all they say, but there's a lot that goes on in this plot. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so we're just going to jump right in, and we'll sort of talk about it as, it as it goes, and things that jump out to us. So the beginning is a woman in a bathing suit being stalked by a man with a harpoon gun who is revealed to be her husband, Ian Fleming. The beginning is at the GoldenEye Pal not Palace, Gold the GoldenEye Building Estate, the GoldenEye Estate, that's what I'm looking for, in Jamaica, yeah. which, of course, Ian Fleming famously built. Mm -hmm. So I did like, you know, the beginning, there's a little bit of a Bond-esque music and it's a, you get a real Thunderball vibe with all the, uh, you know, underwater scenes, although it moves a lot faster than Thunderball ever did. Wow, then that's really saying something considering this is a BBC miniseries. <laughs> but I do appreciate that it, they recognize that if you're watching the show, it's because you like James Bond, so give the people what they want, at exactly. least to begin with. I gotta say, it's weird seeing Dominic Cooper with a British accent and then with gray <laughs> hair. Uh, yeah, so this whole beginning part is set in, what, 1952, which is obviously much later than the rest of the movie is set, or show is set in 1938. So this is like the, it's a uh, mm -hmm. epilogue before the actual show starts. <laughs> right, and it, the, the most notable thing about it is that it reveals that the woman Anne that he's with and that he sort of chases throughout the first two episodes and maybe longer will eventually be his wife. Right. 
So the audience knows what the characters do not. Huh. At that's the time. true. I never thought about that. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. So I, I appreciate that. I was like, I know they're going to get together, but the question is how. Mm-hmm. And then we also get to see a tiny little bit of the writing process for the James Bond novels. So two things jumped out to me about that. Mm-hmm. So the first is that the only actual line that he writes so far is the quote, the bitch is dead. I guess well, language warning on that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's actually the last line of cas- the actual uh, novel of Casino Royale. So that's probably just the last page of that. So there you go. But yeah. isn't, it a, isn't it a pretty famous line? Like, doesn't is, yeah. Daniel Craig say it in the Casino Royale movie? He does. It's not the last line of the movie. Yeah. I mean, they you know they changed that around and made that, you know, names Bond, James Bond, which is also a great end of movie. So I think they wanted to make it more uh, triumphant. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah. it is. A, it's pretty famous. Sure. Well, and I think it really summarizes the sort of negative. Well, I don't. I don't know if negative is the word I'm looking for. Troublesome aspect of James Bond, the darker side of the character. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So there, there was two things of James Bond movies that haven't aged well. That's the racism and the sexism. The racism isn't in every movie, but sexism is always there. Yep. At least in the old ones. And mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that the show, that this show has a lot of that too. And it doesn't always, I feel like they could do a better job indicating that it's not a good thing. Maybe we could get to that a little bit later. Yeah, well... So I, I do appreciate they didn't shy like they didn't try to paint him, you know, Ian Fleming as a saint because he was definitely not a saint. He was mm-hmm. in some ways kind of a terrible person, actually, but he was a great writer. Yeah, well, cer- certainly he was a patriot and he served his country. So we thank mm-hmm. him. We thank him for that. And he gave us James Bond. But certainly his views on women are not what we would call acceptable in 2019. Right. So that was my first observation. And my second observation that his wife calls the James Bond books pornographic, <laughs> which the James Bond movies are tame by 2019 standards, let alone the books. Right. But, but I guess in I, 1950, they were real trendsetters. They, they were definitely. Yeah. So mm-hmm. moving on in the plot, you know, next we see you know, him, him and his brother, Peter Fleming, uh, skiing. And I got some real on Her Majesty's Secret Service vibes from that. <laughs> It, I'm finding amusing just how, I mean, you're right. They, they are playing this up for, you know, the James Bond fans and really making a lot of direct references. But so it's, it's it, I, being a Bond fan, I'm enjoying all these references, but it may be a little too much sometimes. Well, fortunately, they kind of get away from that after the skiing. That's true. And I did, I did think it was funny how, Ian does something James Bond never will do, which is just kind of fall off his skis after trying <laughs> a, a daring maneuver. That's true. Jumping off That's, the top. Yeah. Now you get the difference between fantasy and reality with that. Mm-hmm. So then there's, after they're done skiing, there's a scene where the two of them on a train and Peter Fleming is played by Rupert Evans, who's another actor that I'm a fan of. You may mm-hmm. recognize him. He was Frank in The Man in the High Castle. Ah. And he was also the new agent whose name I'm forgetting, the new guy, the audience insert character in the Guillermo del Toro Hellboy movie, aka the good Hellboy movie. <laughs> That's so right. He's been around. And so, anyway, so the two of them were there, and this woman, this hot chick, hot blonde chick, comes up to them with a book. And we all assume, because Ian Fleming's the famous writer, that she's going to want to talk to him. That mm-hmm. is not the case. Yeah. 
So I looked this up. I wasn't. I didn't actually know that uh, Peter Fleming was also an author, and but he did uh, yeah, sort of more uh, uh, mm-hmm. nonfiction stuff rather than you know fictional stories like Ian Fleming did. So um, I, I sort of had an observation, which I guess I will bring up now. This is fast forwarding a little bit. Which is, mm-hmm. does Ian Fleming have any male friends? Probably not. Well, actually, I mean, in real life, uh, he had some, but not. It was mostly women. <laughs> I mean, well, that he surrounded yeah. himself with. Mm-hmm. So I should point out, I've only seen episodes one and two for the purposes mm-hmm. of recording. The people he hangs out with are the women that he gets with, his brother, his family, and his co-workers. So we don't see any male <laughs> friends, which I, th- which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Maybe we can get into that a little later. Uh, so I also have, he, he has uh, dinner, is, is dinner with his, is that his boss? Yeah, that that's lunch, yeah. yeah. Lunch, okay. Yeah. And he's like checking out the hot checks, including Anne, mm-hmm. which we, which the audience knows will eventually he'll eventually marry. And that's the and first then, time he sees Anne, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's very him. And then he goes to a bar, which is one of my favorite parts of episode of episode one. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about when he orders the James Bond uh, martini, mm-hmm, the Vesper martini, and gets a beer? <laughs> right. Which, which I thought was interesting because it was like the inverse of the classic, I think it was Louis C.K. comedy bit, where, you know, in the movies, they walk up, you walk up to a bartender, you say, give me a beer, and he just gives you one. In real <laughs> life, the bartender would say, well, what kind of beer do you want? Tough guy. <laughs> Whereas it's like, does, I don't even, like, it was funny, but I didn't understand. Like, does Ian Fleming know this bartender? That the bartender uh, would just hand him a beer? No, I think it's, you know, he's... I mean, it's a dive bar, so it's gonna. It's they're not gonna make him a fancy martini, so they may only just have beer. So he's, you know, putting on air, saying, "Get me this," and then they maybe just have one type of beer. I mean, this is World War II London during the Blitz, so the supplies mm-hmm. are limited. Yeah, I I think it's also interesting that you might think you're James Bond, you might act like James Bond, but you aren't James Bond. In fact, no one's James Bond because mm-hmm. he's only he is only as cool as a fictional character can be. Uh, so let's see a couple other observations. I wanted to know, we mentioned this a little bit before, Mm -hmm. but Fleming kind of comes off as like a real dick. Oh no, he totally is. (laughs) But, but yeah, that's, I mean, he is, but the question is why? And I think we're going to get that a little bit more of that in episode two, but -hmm. like his brother seems totally normal. Uh, I think it's probably part of it's got to, you know, living up to your older sibling is, and so you know you act you act out. Well, I can kind of relate to that a little bit, <laughs> though I never though I never acted out, as far as anyone knows. Yeah. He has a conversation with his, I think it's with his mother, where they mention his father is dead. Mm-hmm. She's like, "I'm glad father didn't live to see my son be such a screw up." Yeah. So Fleming's father died in uh, World War One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. I, I noticed that Fleming is kind of living like Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. <laughs> where he's make, I guess he's making a lot of money as a, as a businessman, but he mm-hmm. obviously doesn't care about it. Right. Yeah, so I so looked this up a little bit. And so he was a stockbroker. And actually, even before that, he was a journalist for Reuters. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he was actually this terrible at being a stockbroker as they portray in here, or if that's just like, you know, some artistic license. Well, did they actually say he was terrible, or did they just say that he didn't seem to care about doing a good job? Uh, I mean, probably more of that, actually, yeah. Well, I mean, they, they said that he was 
running out of money because he wasn't making money. So mm-hmm. that seems to indicate that he's not good at it one way or the other. Right. They also make a reference to him being in the military washing out. Yeah, I don't, I don't know offhand whether or not that's true or not. So that's an interesting thing that I didn't necessarily know about. So, and, so anyway, so there's a, a scene in the library where he buys a copy of Mein Kampf from an actual Nazi. <laughs> and there's some, there's some question about what's up with that. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I found his explanation that he's a collector and he likes to collect things to not be extremely convincing. <laughs> yeah, well, it is a, if it's a first, like, yeah, collectors of first editions collect any first edition, really. It's not necessarily, I mean, let me, let me rephrase that. At that time, first edition Mein Kampf would probably be very valuable. Yeah, but you could see what kind of deep shit it got him, him into. This is true. Uh, well, or did it? Because he just ended up with a job. Yeah, well, okay, so that was another thing that I noticed, which is that for Fleming, as well as for his stand-in character, James Bond, things just kind of work out for him. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes he gets beat up by the significant other of the women that he goes after. But more often than not, he sort of stumbles his way into success. <laughs> It must be mm. nice. So right, he, joins, right. he, he joins naval intelligence, just like Bond. Right. James Bond was in the Navy before he became a secret mm-hmm. agent. Yep. And I think they had that in the movies, too. So he, he joins naval intelligence, and we see the same aesthetic. It, it, it has the same trappings of James Bond. So we got the leather door. Right, got, I noticed the, that as well. <laughs> yeah, we got that in front of M's office, or not M, mm-hmm. the boss's office. Monday is like money penny. She even makes a comment that he says, uh, she says, I thought you'd last longer than the others. <laughs> Which, did that ever appear in James Bond? Because it feels like something that it would It feels like something James that Bond. would, but I don't know that, I, offhand, I can't think that it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's, I have a question for you, Christian, which is, yes. he, he says he used to be in the Navy. He basically gets offered a job for almost no reason, mm-hmm. and suddenly he becomes a commander and is in charge of this whole analyst unit. Yep. Why? <laughs> um, because his mother is in with Winston Churchill. That's crazy. Right, right. <laughs> Welcome to being an upper crest with rich white guy. Yeah, it must be nice and handsome right. too. <laughs> but like, that's, I guess they aren't technically a war yet but still all right so yeah. uh so, so he joins the naval unit and he acts as a good cop with some german uh what were they commandos commanders they were u-boat mm-hmm. commanders uh takes them to dinner he gets in trouble and then this was the other thing i wanted to talk to you about okay. which is like james bond fleming constantly gets in trouble with his boss but he never seems to suffer any actual consequences for it so my reading of that is that, you know, that uh, Admiral Godfrey, who's his boss, is basically covers for him a lot. Because he likes why? him. why? Because he likes him? But he's he not him, even he has good... <laughs> I mean, I guess he is debatable, but... but yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, so I wondered, is this some of this exaggerated because it's a TV show? Yeah, I mean, so I know Godfrey did use him as sort of the, the liaison between uh, naval intelligence and some of the other agencies. So I think this is more exaggerated because he was like Gottfried actually himself or Gottfried, um, mm-hmm. was kind of standoffish with the other intelligence agencies. And so he, he sent Fleming as his go-between because Fleming was able to schmooze better. Well, there, there's one thing Fleming's good at is schmooze. 
Mm. Well, I, I, it, it struck me as a thing that we see in television a lot, which is maybe there's a more technical term for it, but I call mm. it the smart asshole trope. <laughs> Which is so the, obviously the quintessential example of it is Doctor House on the TV mm-hmm. show House, where he's a huge douche to everybody that's around him except for his friends, but he's really smart. He's really good at his job, so he never gets fired. Mm. And to be frank, I'm not sure that that is something that is really true in reality. Or at least right. I like to think. I think <laughs> we'd like to think so, but right. I don't know. Um, okay, so so what else do we have here? So, end of episode one you know, ends well, with that Oh, you got more oh, before that? Well, just the, the very end is him doing another James Bond very uncomfortable in 2019 thing, which is where he, like, goes after a woman. And I do mean go after like <laughs> Like, he starts touching her, even though she's like, I'm not interested in you, or am I? Uh. <laughs> yeah, just a lot of uncomfortableness with that. So... Mm-hmm. Right, so we don't need to say anything more about that. But the part where he's, like, kissing Anne while bombs literally explode the windows next to them. Any, yeah. is, does that have any basis in truth? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, okay. it's beautifully shot. Like, just, you know, it's a beautiful imagery of, you know, sort of mm-hmm. the impact of their first kiss. But, yeah, no, that's it. No. Probably. I'm pretty sure that's entirely fictional. Okay. Yeah. Well, you got to feel bad for Muriel, who we haven't mentioned yet. Mm-hmm. Is this blonde woman that he gets together with, but he obviously doesn't seem to care about her that much, but he keeps her around. Mm-hmm. So more on her later. Okay, yeah. so we're on, we're on to episode two. So synopsis for episode two. Lisbon, 1940. Neutral territory. The British mingle with the Nazis. Fleming is with Gottfried and Monday on a diplomatic meeting. So right off the bat in this, when they enter Lisbon and, you know, he goes to the casino, that's straight out of Casino Royale. And this is actually, this encounter, uh, spoiler alert for, you know, my seg- our segment of, you know, spy fact and fiction, but this literally, this or some version of it happened. And mm-hmm. it was the inspiration for Casino Royale for Fleming. Okay. Well, I guess I, I have follow-up questions about that, but I'll wait yeah. until the end to ask, okay. to ask you that. Well, I will I, say that the, uh, the, the dead Nazi thing didn't happen, but the playing cards with Nazis did. Well, Debatable. Okay. I, I liked the comment that, um, I'm sorry, what was his name? Admiral Godfrey. Godfrey mm-hmm. sa- says, best behavior Fleming. That was very, <laughs> that was very James Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of feel obligated to point out, I thought they were playing poker at first, but it turns out they oh. were playing Baccarat. Yeah. Okay. So when he pushes all of his chips into the middle mm-hmm. and it's this big dramatic moment and then loses, Okay, so I'm not like a gambling expert, but I'm pretty sure right. that if he loses that hand, the only thing he would lose would be the same amount of money that his opponents put in. I think, well, so here's how Baccarat works. Okay. You have to match. Mm-hmm. So one, well, in this version, which is more Shimon Defer than Baccarat, um, someone plays as the house, and the house is the one who backs it with their money. And they, you know, will decide how much the bet's going to be. Um, and then if you're the player, mm-hmm. you say Banco. That means, you know, I will accept the bank and I, or I will accept the bet. So he would have, so he had, they had to match him. So he, they would have lost all of it. Or he would have lost all of it. Yeah. But, but the Nazis didn't have enough money to back him. They and only had the, what they had. 
so i mean you just write a check for, like they would have you know said all right i need more money you know it's mm-hmm. assumed that if you're you know paying out the banco that you have the money or you will give the money which is actually a plot point in on her magic secret service where tracy says banco and doesn't have the money and so bond rescues her with the rest with the money i see yeah i see yeah, so I, I was a little bit confused with how, how that was working. So again, mm-hmm. like we mentioned before, him never he basically loses a hundred was it a hundred thousand pounds? Or maybe ten thousand yep. pounds? Oh a hundred thousand pounds. And he like doesn't he gets like a little bit chewed out and that's it. Well, that's I mean ridiculous. even Mondays Monday says, you know, it's it's only money, it's so it's completely replaceable. It's like really? Really? <laughs> People. I mean, you know, they, you know what they say about like black budgets and stuff, but still, mm. you, you think he would have at least gotten gotten chewed out a little bit longer. Okay, mm-hmm. but anyway, so we have the Nazi getting assassinated by two people, one of mm. whom claims to be a Jew on mm. the run, which I actually didn't believe her when she said oh? that. Really? Why? Because just that whole scene didn't make any sense. So, like, who was the other guy she was with? And if the guy ran away after killing the Nazi, why didn't she do the same thing? Mm, good question. I have no. I don't know. So, uh, so I thought my sort of read on the situation was mm-hmm. he was her and this guy killed the Nazi for mm-hmm. their own reasons, and then when Fleming was a witness, she gave him like a sob story so that he huh. wouldn't turn around. Interesting. I, I didn't. I didn't read that, but eh, it could be. Especially because she was like, I, you know, I'm in trouble. Help me, and then we never see her again. Or maybe we do in a later episode, but somehow mm. I doubt it. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, let's see. Um, Anne invites him to a tea party. So they're, like, friends now, I guess? And her Kinda. husband seems to know him, too? Yeah. Well, I mean, in this sort of upper-crust society, everyone knows everyone, or at least, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, so, like, they make out once, and I guess they're friends. And it's like really awkward and mm-hmm. weird. Okay. Well, I mean, like, I, I guess the, the, the British upper class do do things differently because they play like this sex game with a blindfold where he goes around okay, kissing it's people. It's not a sex game, but yeah, it's, it's <laughs> Dude, a blindfold whatever, close game. Enough, close yeah. enough. It's close enough. Apparently, well, so I don't know this, I don't know if this is real or not, but like, you know, what's her, um, Anne's friend Bill was, is like, you know, it's tradition, you know. The most eligible bachelor has to kiss all the women blindfolded. I'm like, okay, that's a weird tradition. Mm-hmm. Except he, uh, he's not really a bachelor because he's with Muriel. Yeah, well, I mean, unmarried. Okay. Well, that's like the vagueness of, you know, bouquet toss at a wedding. Is it, you know, if you're single or is it if you're not yeah. married or what? So who knows? That's a good point. I mean, Jews don't do the bouquet toss. All right, well. I can't really comment on that. <laughs> So let's see. Yeah. There, anyway, so, so then we get a scene with him and his mother and Rupert. And I have written down succeeds at bloody everything about, <laughs> about Peter. So like, obviously there's like some resentment there, mm-hmm. but heck, heck of a way to, to work through that. Which right. is like, I'm just going to fail at everything. And then I also <laughs> underlined his relationship with his mother seems to have answered my previous question, but why he's such a dick all the time. Yeah, yeah. Here's another I mean, that... question I had for you. Sorry, okay. I know I'm talking a lot. <laughs> but which is in so in Archer, of course, our favorite <laughs> our favorite spy animated uh, show. 
Mm-hmm. Sterling Archer has a very uh, a very toxic relationship with his mother. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so did the Archer, did the producers of Archer like research planning and find out about it? Or is it just I don't like- think so. So what I my read on it is there are sort of debates on who the basis for M is. A lot of people say it's John God- John Godfrey or Admiral, God- Admiral Godfrey. But mm-hmm. other people actually say like the base for M is actually like his mother, who mm-hmm. he would sometimes refer to as M. Okay. Um, and just being the you know the harsh taskmaster kind of thing. Archer was sort of based on the you know Judy Dench M relationship with Brosnan's James Bond, but then adding sort of a more of an edible thing to it and making it actually a mother and son instead of just you know mother figure. Okay, what is so like not just all right. All right, I, I could see that. Okay, well, I was going to say in, in the same scene, mm-hmm. he says there was a Swiss girl. I think it was a Swiss girl. He was in love with, he was going to marry her, but his mother stopped the engagement. Mm-hmm. So that, that sounds like a big recipe for lingering, lingering resentments. Right. Well, I was found it interesting, though, that, you know, I don't know that she was ever named. Well, it was in the research that I did, if that girl was ever named, but uh, the girl that they, that flipped the, miniseries gives her Monique is actually the name of James Bond's mother, Monique Delacroix. Right, which you which you knew, and then we got asked that <laughs> in part trivia the one time. But nobody yep. knew it. Well, we, were, we were all like, where's Christian when you need him? <laughs> uh, so, so then it seemed like history was going to repeat itself because then in the next scene, Fleming's mom goes to see Anne. Mm-hmm. And like, that was real geez. <laughs> yeah and then we, and we and like then the mom is a douche to her and to muriel mm-hmm. so basically like to everyone <laughs> yeah but whatever so we're not here to talk about relationships we're here to talk about spy stuff and that's what finally happens as Fleming gets on his way to france to find admiral declan darlin darlin and yeah. i gotta say it's a pretty sweet basis for like a movie Right. So yeah. So this was a real thing that happened, um, but I'm not. And including the stuff with like you know trying to f- track him down and the part with the boat, mm-hmm. but I can't think of any F- F- Fleming story that actually took reference that you know took inspiration from this, which is interesting, and maybe an un- untapped mind there. That's true, but it's it's because James Bond stories don't tend to take place in the middle of or in the be- beginning of like active full-scale nation-state wars. It's very much a product of the Cold War. Fair, fair. So, but I, I, I said the idea of like a military leader mm-hmm. that is selling them out is a great idea huh. that I wish we, and it reminds me of Heart of Darkness slash uh, Apocalypse mm-hmm. Now right. and, and The Rock. <laughs> so two completely different movies right. with, a, with a similar premise that I found really intriguing especially the reveal at the end yeah. too. Uh, so I, I like Fle- Fleming had a couple of lines that I liked, I liked when he said we're going to need a much nicer car <laughs> that was, that's very James Bond and he yeah. said don't make any stops at casinos <laughs> well I think af- well after yeah that incident in uh Mm-hmm. Where was it? In Lisbon. In Lisbon, yeah. He yeah. became notorious for that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, that's what we call in comedy a callback. 
yeah. professionals at home. <laughs> so uh, I like the scene of them dist- of the uh, was it the, fr- the the British embassy workers destroying documents. Mm-hmm. That's very reminiscent of the beginning of Argo, where you had that's American yeah, embassy no, yeah. workers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just what happens anytime an embassy falls. Is that right. there's going to be intelligence documents in there that need to be destroyed? I feel like that's co- that's like fairly known but it's interesting that they didn't like they, they weren't able to destroy everything i got the impression mm-hmm. which well, is so like, that they seem sort of hesitant to destroy everything too mm-hmm. i i guess there was still sort of uncharted territory for them yeah. right mm-hmm. he another comment he says he says to his driver all or nothing mm-hmm. which i if i recall my james bond correctly is the bond family motto not quite so, Bound family motto is Orbis non sufficient, which means the world is not enough. What oh. you're thinking of is everything or nothing, mm-hmm. which is um, what supposedly the uh, acronym EON stands for, which is the name of the production company that the, produces the Bond films. Okay. But I knew there was some kind of connection. Some, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think there was a James Bond video game called Everything or Nothing. There was also that, which was quite good. It had Pierce Brosnan and uh, Willem Dafoe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's some serious talent for a video game. You know, at the end of his little adventure, you know, he is not able to find, well, he finds Admiral Darlin, but is not able to convince him to, you know, give the, give the French Navy over to the Brits and instead will give them to the Germans. Mm-hmm. And so Fleming returns home. Well, sort of, I'm know. sorry. I'm sorry to say, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the animal scene. Uh, that yeah. was like, that was like mind blowing to me. When, yeah. when, he, when he was like, yeah, the Germans are going to conquer us. Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe we can <laughs> have like a pretty good time. Maybe they're like our new friends now. Hmm. I mean, like we've seen a lot of like Nazis. I mean, we've seen so many Nazis be killed in fiction mm-hmm. and so many evil speeches for them, but that one kind of stands out to me because it's like, yeah, well, it's uh... maybe maybe if you had an army bearing down your country, mm-hmm. who's to say you wouldn't do the same thing? I mean, like to think you'd like to think you wouldn't, but he actually had to he actually had to make that choice, but he made the wrong choice, obviously. Yeah. Well. Is is there any is there any true in the sort of indication that he was like almost a collaborator. I don't know. I'd have to do a little more research on Admiral Darl because I didn't know actually know too much about him other than like I, that this apparently happened. And so it's like they... one of the few times that Fleming actually went out into the field and did something. Mm-hmm. Did they actually sink the French fleet? I don't know. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. something we'd have to, we can look up an update on the next episode. Yeah, as you guys can hear, this is a very professional podcast. <laughs> we really have done our, our preparation. Okay, so we ha- there's a couple more scenes with the women in Ian Fleming's life. I, I have a quote from a scene that fails the Bechdel test where Mary oh. says, I don't know why I fall for a man like that. And then Anne responds, like, I don't think you're the only... Something along the lines of, I don't think you're the only one. Well, you won't be the first and you won't be the last. Yeah. Uh. So... But it, but it's like see what's interesting is that Anne seems to know what the deals with Fleming, but somehow mm-hmm. ends up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> now they had like from what I've read, they had a pretty tempestuous relationship. So this is not maybe maybe too far off from fact. Who's the one talking about a gilded little birdcage and then says it's over? Was that was that Muriel or Anne? Uh, I, I think remember. it was Muriel. Probably. 
No, I'm sorry. Okay, it was Anne because you, there's this whole speech, and then he's like, "It's over," and then he goes home oh, to Muriel's right. house, and she's dead. Right, like, killed from, in the from a bomb. Yes. Oof. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not that's like some bad timing. But you know what though, it was never gonna work between them. Hmm. Yeah. He like he didn't care about Muriel, obviously. So apparently, real life Fleming was actually very heartbroken when Muriel died. Uh-huh. And she's sort of the inspiration for, you know, a lot of the tragic, you know, deaths of Bond girls that have happened. Well, he had a heck of a way of showing how much he cared about it based <laughs> on based on what we've seen in the series. Mm, right. Um, and so then he goes back to Anne's house and then there's like setting like domestic violence scene. Yeah. But I guess she's I like mean, into it's... it. I don't so know. It works it's... out. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I, I, I gotta say, the BBC had some guts putting that, <laughs> putting yeah. that in their show. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then let's see. the The last comment that I have on this episode is that mm-hmm. so so I guess he's together with Anne, and he goes to see his boss, and he has a bloody good idea, which is <laughs> to send soldiers into Germany to spy mm-hmm. on Germany. So it's like, how is that a bloody good idea? The, it's the British. They've been spying thousands for like thousands of years. So like, so what's the brilliance there? Like Ian Fleming obviously didn't invent spying. So like, no, but he invented. So we'll find out more about them in the next episode of sort of what what exactly they were. Um, but it's mm-hmm. more, they're more ruthless basically than your average spies. They're half commando, half spy basically. Oh, you so almost might call them a secret agent. Mm-hmm. Rather than your traditional yeah, spy, exactly. Okay, so yeah, so, so yeah, so that's all I have. The first couple episodes. Well, we, oh, sorry, we're supposed to do fact or fiction now, right? Yeah. So now we can do some uh, spy fact and spy fiction. Um, mm-hmm. So, as I said, you know, a lot of the detail, or at least a lot of the events that are, take place in this or are portrayed in this, are real. It's just some of the details they fudge. Like, so the very beginning, we you know we have him writing Casino Royale on his honeymoon. He actually wrote it uh, leading up to his wedding. He was, it was sort of a way to deal with, you know, cold feet and his anxiety, and he decided he was going to try to write the greatest spy novel ever written. Hmm, that's interesting. So, mm-hmm. so uh, if that was interesting that they sort of shifted that time-wise. Another thing, so as, we, as I said, Admiral Godfrey was the base for M, but Monday doesn't appear to have existed at all, actually. Oh, yeah. So that okay. was just thrown in there so that you know you'd have a money penny reference. There are people who, you know, were the inspiration for money penny apparently, but none of them was the secretary to Admiral Godfrey that I know of. Well, I did like how the the analyst unit that he worked in was were all women because mm-hmm. that was very true. Yeah. I mean, maybe not one hundred percent women, but certainly women did do that job. Yeah. Even I guess even well, it was interesting that they were all women, even though the war hadn't even started. Well, I mean, so I mean, the war okay for America, the war hadn't started till nine what till nineteen forty one, but mm-hmm. for the rest of the world, what's the actual timeline for when it, who who's to say when it started? Well, yeah, this would have been after. I mean, so if France was falling, mm-hmm. then you know Britain was at war, and I yeah. would assume the draft is on. So there you go. And cer- certainly, if they're in a military unit, then the men yeah. mm-hmm. on their way. All right. So more spy fact and spy fiction. Oh yeah. So a lot of the details that uh, you know that I'm talking about Fleming, like that Admiral Godfrey m- 
mentions about Fleming. Uh, Fleming also put on into the Bond character. So, you know, smoking his moral, you know, Moreland cigarettes, that's something from the books that, you know, Fleming was expelled from Eaton, just Bond was also expelled from Eaton. One of the things he does, is, you know, he t- throws down the folder, 51 ideas to fool the Nazis. So mm-hmm. this is a reference to something which is called the Trout Report, which is circulated by Godfrey of basically ideas to trick the Brit- to, uh, trick the Nazis, and including that reference, to, you know, to the man who never was, where you, you know, stuff a dead body with all these papers. And that's something that actually happened. Right. Um, but so Godfrey, you know, it, Officially, Godfrey is the one who wrote it, but everyone knew that it was actually Fleming who wrote it because it sounded like Fleming. All right, so that's what I've got for spy fact and spy fiction. All right, I, ha- I want to do one last observation before we get yeah, to sure. reviews, which is the beginning of every episode starts with a, type, a typewritten phrase of him mm-hmm. saying, everything I write has a precedent in truth. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which to me is hilarious. <laughs> Having known where the James Bond series eventually ended up going, even the more grounded Daniel Craig era was still pretty out there. Well, I mean, I'll say his books are actually pretty grounded. Most of his books are pretty grounded. And essentially, okay. if you like, I've seen someone, on, there's someone on Facebook who I saw who's like doing an interesting rewatch of reading the books in order and then watching the corresponding movies. And so there'll be because the movies were filmed completely out of order of the books and with right. completely different actors. It's an interesting thing to see. And also just all the changes that were made. Like Moonraker, the movie, is completely different than Moonraker, the book. Does he still go into space in the book? Nope, no, no, not okay. at all. Well, it's that, more that like investigating a, a rocket launch. And that's mm-hmm. like... So, yeah. Okay, so next is time for our rating. So I, would you like to rate first? Sure. So I will give this seven, or shall I say, double O seven martinis out of ten. I I liked it a lot. I mean, yeah, there are the problematic aspects of it, and mm-hmm. but I thought sort of just the sto- I like the story. T- I mean, for me, I'm a Bond fan, and also I just love the World War II time period. So it was going to cook me with those things already. And I thought, you know, Dominic Cooper may well he might not look like Fleming. He portrayed a very interesting character. All right. Uh, I, I would, so I'm going to mention earlier, I'm going to sort of be like a lot of YouTubers that I watch who try to get away from this sort of trend where everything under 8 out of 10 is like terrible. Mm-hmm. I tried to be a little more accurate where 5 out of 10 is average and 10 out of 10 is like really blowing my socks off. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to say, I'll be a little harsher than you and say 6 out of 10. All right. I'm going to say that. How much harsher? Yeah, I know. But I mean, like, so it, it holds my interest definitely more than other BBC miniseries <laughs> I can mm-hmm. think of. But, you know, it, it's it's still I, I, I don't know. I don't I don't really see myself. I don't think I'm going to be thinking about it in 10 years. You know what I mean? Hmm. Fair. Yeah. OK, so thank you for listening to our first episode. And we will see you next time where we'll be covering Fleming part two. So from your host, Christian and Zach. We are the Spy-Fi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the Spy-Fi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. 
the theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.